This week and next week, we're, going to, we're doing a two-part series called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. If you've been around church, you may know that old chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. You know that song? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So what we'd like to do over these next two weeks is exactly that, just to turn our eyes upon Jesus. This week is going to be more of a sort of zoomed out look at Jesus. And then next week, Susie is going to focus in on a particular passage. Last year, my wife, Lizzie, and our four kids and me um, did something called the North Coast 500. Anyone heard of that? NC 500? Um, It's amazing. It's a 500-mile road trip around the top of Scotland. Um, It starts in Inverness, and it goes north till you can go north no more on land. Um, And honestly, it is stunning up there. I've got a few pictures, just family pictures. Here we go. There we go. Look, that is our car, real life. Isn't that amazing? Not to, you know, provoke jealousy or anything, but that, that is... This here is uh, near Apple Cross, right? This is the highest road in the UK. And it's just amazing, beautiful scenery. We had no idea. So we did it over sort of 12 to 13 nights, each night staying in a different place as we made our way around the top. And we have this map on our wall now of the journey. We traced the route and uh, all the memorable things that we did. And so it's like framed on our wall. Um, You can see the route there around the top. Um, And... uh, one, we had all these different memorable things happen that we wrote on it, one of which you can see is circled, if you can read it, just on the top right there on the east, Ezra Sick. <laughs> yeah. That was memorable. Um, all over the car, like in his car seat, all over everything. And it's one of those smells you just cannot easily get rid of, right? And we were in the middle of nowhere. There was really not much we can do. And it's one of those, you know, those moments where you just feel like crying, because there isn't a simple solution to the situation. Um, and then as we went, if you bring the map back up, as we went up and across the top there, um, over towards Donetsk, that other little circle there, um, we were playing this game, uh, this game, Would You Rather? You might have played it. Uh, would you rather have an ice cream or a cake? And the kids would say, you know, shout out. Or would you like to rather be eaten by a lion or a snake? You know, that sort of um, standard stuff. So the kids were each saying different ones and making up their own. And Jesse, who's three, um, he comes out with this. Would you rather have Snowden in your garden or have your family? And we were like, that's different. That's not, I did not see that one coming. And so the trip went on with like, in this sort of way, marked by things like that. And The Hobbit, which we listened to all the way around and seaweed slinging competitions on beaches and food and castles and just breathtakingly beautiful scenery. See, staying in one place means you can really explore and get to know that place. A road trip is just different, right? You get to see somewhere in a different way. You get a sense of the whole and the scale of it. And today is a little bit more like a road trip. I'm going to jump from story to story about Jesus without delving too deeply into any of them. Um, But I think it just helps us see things slightly differently 
the author Tim Keller tells a story of a woman who, being uh, going through some old drawers, finds at the back of one an old brooch that she discarded years before. Uh, just an old family heirloom, she thought nothing of it, and, uh, but she decides to go and get it valued. So um, she takes it to the jeweler who studies it and he gets his little eye thing out and uh, he starts looking at the brooch and he's turning it around in his hand and he's looking from all angles and he's looking for the way the light refracts and colours at the density and the transparency of the jewel. He's looking at this thing and that thing and looking and looking until suddenly his little eye thing, he pops out and his hands begin to shake and his breathing, breathing quickens as he realises that this isn't just any old jewel, but a piece of antiquity, the craft of which has been lost to history and its value is just unthinkable. You see, by looking and looking, he realises the value of what he has in his hand. And today, I'd just love us to look at Jesus, to look and to look again, that we might realise again, or maybe perhaps even for the first time this morning, his extraordinary value. John Wesley, the great Methodist leader, uses this lovely phrase. He's been a Christian for a good long while at this point. Um, But there was this turning point, key moment turning point in his faith, where he goes to church and he hears what he's heard many, many times before. But this time, it's different. And in his words, he says this, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt my heart strangely warmed. And many of us will have heard these stories before, many times. I'm not saying anything new, but I hope that as we look again at Jesus today and next week, that we might just find our hearts are strangely warmed. So I have 10 points today. Um, I'm actually serious. Three-point sermons are for lightweights. Uh, 10 points in a 20 minutes-ish. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but imagine it's like a road trip. Right, or imagine it's like we've got the jeweler's little eye thingy on, and we're looking from this angle and this angle and this angle. So, so let's jump in. Um, firstly, look firstly at how compassionate he is. In many times in the Gospels, we see the words, and he had compassion on the crowd. So he taught them, so he healed them, fed them. He had compassion on the crowd. And there are a number of places where Jesus is moved to tears, to weeping because of his care for the people. One writer calls him the weeping saviour. He's full of compassion. One of my favourite stories is in Mark chapter 5, verse 25. It will come up on the screen, but you can follow if you've got your Bible. He says this, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Can you hear the compassion in his words? He turns to this broken woman this socially excluded lady, which is how her bleeding would have made her. 
This woman who for years would have carried around a stigma, lived like an outcast. You can imagine her fear in approaching him, her shame, her desire to hide. You know, many times when people come to Jesus, they shout out to him. There's a story of um, two blind men who call out, son of David, have mercy on me. But this lady, she says, she says if I could just touch his garment, nothing more. And then Jesus turns to her and you can imagine her fear. It says with fear and trembling, she starts to speak. How dare she have touched him? She isn't even supposed to be here in that culture. It wasn't allowed. Waiting for the words that she'd heard many times away, get away, bracing herself for the rejection that was bound to come because she was considered dirty. But Jesus turns to her. He doesn't call her dirty. He calls her daughter. Daughter. Not dirty. That is intimate and affectionate, welcoming and beautiful. How much she felt in that moment. See, he is full of compassion for the broken. It's just what he's like. Look at how kind he is. In Luke chapter 19, we read this story. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, um, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my deeds I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. See, tax collectors were hated people. And that was Zacchaeus extorting money from his own people for his own gain with the power of Rome backing him. And yet Jesus chooses him, him, thief, traitor, outcast, hated. He didn't deserve anything and Jesus chooses him. In that culture, eating with someone was, was like endorsing them. He didn't deserve it, but Jesus eats with him. In fact, Jesus is often found in the Gospels eating with tax collectors and sinners, social outcasts, people who didn't deserve it, those that society shuns, second-class citizens. And he treats them with dignity, kindness, and it changes their lives. He's so kind, so generous. It's just what he's like. And look at how he is with the vulnerable You you may well know the story um, in John chapter 8, verse 2, says this. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman, so what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. 
And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's a beautiful passage. It's a little bit tr- triggery for me, um, which is a shame. When I was teaching briefly, I had a year seven class at the school, and we were uh, looking at Christianity and this story. And I thought it would be a good opportunity uh, for some kinesthetic learning, you know, tick that box. And so got the kids to act it out. So we had the woman and someone was Jesus. And then the rest of the class were like the religious stone throwers. And um, they'd made stones from scrunched up paper. And um, well, it quickly became apparent that I hadn't really thought it through. And um, sadly, in that version of the story, um, Jesus and the woman did unfortunately get stoned. Um, (laughs) As did most of the rest of us in the room. Uh, But thankfully, no one saw it. So... (laughs) But can you picture this? Jesus standing between this woman and those who would want to harm her. He disarms the violent crowd by revealing their double standards, the hypocrisy in their own lives. None of them are perfect. In fact, he was the only one who could have picked up a stone, but he doesn't. Instead, he extends grace and he speaks words of life to this woman. Over and over, we find Jesus on the side of the outcast, the broken, the downtrodden. It's just what he's like. Look at how he is with the powerful. We often get this um, image of Jesus, right? Meek and mild with a lamb on his shoulders, something like this. Jesus, you know, who wouldn't say boo to a goose. It's not unfamiliar, is it, as an image? But honestly, it couldn't be further from the reports about Jesus. Over and over, we find Jesus in conflict with the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day. In Matthew and Luke's gospel, we have the reports of Jesus basically speaking truth to power. But woe to you, Pharisees, he says, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without even knowing. Again and again, elsewhere he calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, you look good on the outside, but you are dead on the inside. And there's this story where he turns over tables in the temple, outraged by the way the powerful were excluding and extorting the poor. He's always in in conflict with the powerful for the sake of the vulnerable. He's not a pushover. It's not Jesus who wouldn't say boo to a goose. I mean, could you imagine being one of his disciples, just constantly worried about the next thing he was going to do or say? You know, had it been me, I'd have just been desperately trying to smooth it over with the Pharisees, right? Just trying to avoid conflict at all costs. And with the woes, for example, I think I'd have been like pulling them over and I was like, oh, you know when he said, whoa, and you heard it in this way? I think it was more like, whoa, you guys, (laughs) wow, whoa, great, great work. 
But Jesus cuts across the etiquette of the day. He doesn't people please, he doesn't conform to culture. He doesn't capitulate to peer pressure or power. It's just what he's like. And look at how confident he is. In John's gospel, one of the themes is the I am sayings of Jesus. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. Jesus is fairly sure about himself, right? I would say. He isn't in an identity crisis. He's sure about who he is. And I love that. If I'm going to follow someone, trust someone, I want to know that they know who they are, that they know what they're about, even if I don't really know who I am or what I'm about all the time. I need to know that he does. And he is entirely confident, entirely secure. He knows who he is. He knows what he's doing. Look at how powerful he is. Throughout the Gospels, he's healing the sick, casting out demons, turns water into wine, feeds 5,000, feeds 4,000, walks on water, calms the storm, raises the dead. Again and again, we read, the crowds were amazed and astounded by his miracles and the authority with which he taught. You read that many times. They were amazed, astounded by his miracles and what he did. In Mark 4, as he commands the sea to be still, the disciples respond, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? He's powerful. It's just what he's like. But look what he does with that power. I love this. John 13, verse three. Look how he holds power. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Isn't that extraordinary? The king of kings, the way, the truth, the life, the light of the world, the one who did all these extraordinarily powerful, wonderful, amazing things, washing the dirt off the feet of those who follow him. It's unbelievable. Even washing the feet of the one he knew would betray him. Who else in history is like that? Who holds power that way? Sometimes we get this image of Jesus kind of super spiritual, otherworldly, this sort of thing. Really? He's in the dirt here, washing the feet of his disciples, hanging out, eating with them. It doesn't sound particularly super spiritual or aloof. But even more amazing, if you read on in that passage, the foot washing thing actually points beyond itself. This is how Paul puts it in um, his letter to the church in Philippi, in chapter two, verse five, he says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being, found, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
So in the most costly act of service and humility, Jesus dies for us. This is how he holds his power, how he wields his power. He gives his life, sacrifices himself. It's extraordinary humility. This is what he's like. And look at how gentle he is. Sometimes we get this picture of Jesus, you know, angry, judgmental. Um, You've seen this sort of thing, right? No. But listen to this. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, and if you just jump down to 44, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he says to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You may suggest this woman would have been a prostitute. Can you feel his gentleness toward her? Angry? Judgmental? No. He protects her. He dignifies her. He affirms her as he does all the women he meets everywhere he goes. Women had no status in society's eyes, but to Jesus, in his eyes, immeasurably valuable. Don't you love the way he is? So gentle, so kind. It's just what he's like. Look how steadfast he is. He predicts his death a number of times and um, it doesn't take him by surprise as Ben mentioned earlier. It doesn't catch him off guard. In fact, John writes that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem where he would die. He was steadfast when Peter tried to convince him not to go to the cross. Steadfast when in the Garden of Gethsemane he is overcome with anguish and cries out, not my will be done but yours. He was steadfast when the guards came to arrest him and he put up no resistance. Steadfast as the Roman officials accused him and he offered no defence. And steadfast as he stayed on the cross with all the power to be free of it. I love that. It's what he's like. He doesn't just change with the wind. He doesn't just give up. And finally, see that he did it all for you and for me. I'm just going to read this from the Jesus Storybook Bible. I know we use this a lot, but it is just one of the best. Um, Here we go. 
You might just close your eyes and listen if you want, whatever, however you want to do it. But So you're a king, are you? The Roman soldiers jeered. Then you'll need a crown and a robe. They gave Jesus a crown made of thorns and put a purple robe on him and pretended to bow down to him. Your majesty, they said. And they whipped him and spat at him. And they didn't understand that this was the prince of life, the king of heaven and earth who'd come to rescue them. The soldiers made him a sign, our king, and nailed it to a wooden cross. They walked up a hill outside the city. Jesus carried the cross on his back. Jesus had never done anything wrong, but they were going to kill him the way criminals were killed. And they nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what they're doing. You say you've come to rescue us, people shouted, but you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. A legion of angels would have flown to his side if he'd called. If you were really the son of God, you could just climb down off that cross, they said. And of course, they were right. Jesus could have just climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop, like when he healed that little girl and stilled the storm and fed 5,000 people. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Isn't that beautiful? He could have climbed down, but he didn't. And he didn't because of you, and he didn't because of me because of his love and affection for us. If you ever doubt his love for you, if circumstances ever make you feel and question, does he really love me? You need look no further than this. All of this for you. Now, there are so many more things um, we could talk about. I mean, he rose from the dead conquering death for one. So many more. But do you feel your heart warmed? as we fix our eyes on him, isn't he remarkable? It's just what he's like.